everyone and welcome to Romance in Color, your destination for real inclusive romance. I am one half of the duo here at Romance in Color, Tati Richardson, and thanks for joining us for part two of our September Double Dose episode of our Writing in Color author interview series. Today I have an amazing interview with one of my favorite authors ever, the one, the only Laquette. I'm such a fan girl of Laquette. Um, Laquette is a native of Brooklyn, New York, who writes bold stories featuring multicultural characters, black characters, queer characters, and plus size characters as well. Um, she writes a lot of hot heat and steam, which I everyone loves, but she does it so well. Not to mention, Laquette is also the president of RWA, which is the Romance Writers of America, uh, which is our professional association for romance writers. We talk about the direction of RWA. We talk about some of her backlist, which includes Jackson and Bed in the Enemy, two of my favorites. And we talk also talk about her upcoming releases for Harlequin, which is her very first uh, releases for Harlequin. Uh, we talk about a very intimate takeover, Devereaux Inc. 1, and backstage benefits, Devereaux Inc. 2. So you guys sit back, relax, and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful, thought-provoking episode and interview with the one and only Queen of Steam, Laquit. Hi everyone, we are here with the one and only Laquit. Um, I am so excited because <laughs> I am such a big fan. I'm like nervous, shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's on the podcast. So, <laughs> so um, thank, you for, thank you so much for coming on I super, we super, super appreciate it here at Romance and Color. So thank you, thank oh, you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, you have no idea how excited I am to be here, and that I'm, you know, finally able to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> for those who don't know who you are, and if they've been living under a rock. Can you tell the people <laughs> who you are, kind of your origin story of how you got started uh, with romance? Okay. <laughs> your background. I know things, I, well, I say, but I don't, want, I don't want, you know, for people to know. Well, I work, first of all, I mean, the fact that you're, you're giving me that much clout that I have an origin story. I mean, <laughs> it makes me feel so good. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to tell my husband that. Do you know I have an origin story? You should respect me. <laughs> but uh, truly, I, I, I started publishing romance, uh, I want to say somewhere around 2013, so about um, eight years ago. Um, and... Well, I think we have to start where where I really came into contact with romance initially, right, which was right. as a 16-year-old. I started reading romance when um, I was a junior in high school. And one of my friends would come to school every day with one of these like little tiny books that I now know as Harlequin Presents. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to see her and, you know, they had those like, you know, um, those clutch covers yeah, and so yeah. I would, I would say to her, like, why do you bring those 
why do you bring those trashy books to school every day? Trashy? Oh my and, God. <laughs> that, that's, I will not lie. That is exactly what I said to her. And she looked me in my face and shut me down with five words. Have you ever read one? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, well, uh, she was like, well, then before you judge, you should actually pick up one. And she said, and I'm going to start you off. I'll give you this one and you can go home and read it. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember very vividly, like reading that book all the way home on the bus ride from school and mm-hmm. literally locking, holding up in my room all night long and not coming mm-hmm. out of my room and finishing that book. And when I got back to school the next day, I gave her the book and she said, you finished it? I was like, yeah, do you have more? She's like, yeah. So she gave, literally I exhausted her supply of Harlequin Presents. And she's like, okay, now you're gonna have to go get your own. So I'm like, well, where do I get these from? She says, I go to the library and get mine. You can go get, do the same. I don't even think I had a library card at that time. Mm. I went and got a library card. Um, I applied for one just so I could be able to get these books and I would get like a whatever the maximum was which is like probably like 10 books at the time right um, I, I would pull out like whatever that max number was I would pull out those amounts of books of romances from the library mm-hmm. and I think the librarian like the the library was directly on my bus route home I lived in Brooklyn and I used to have to take the um I went to Erasmus Hall High School and I'd okay. have to take the the B35 from Church in Flatbush to, um, I think, um, all the way to Brownsville, which is where I lived at the time. And okay. it stopped It stopped on East 98th Street, which is where the library was. So the, the bus stopped mm-hmm. directly in front of the library. Mm-hmm. And I would get off the bus every day, take the, the bag of books I had gotten the previous day or a previous day or day or two, you know, two days before, come back and the librarian would say, but you just took these out. I'm like, I know, and I'm finished and I need more. <laughs> and she's like, there's no way you're reading all of these books. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got started. And I probably, that probably continued on for about two years um, mm-hmm. until, I don't know, I don't know that it was a conscious thing in my head that made me really notice what was happening. But I started to kind of pull away from those Harlequin presents. And, and it wasn't that the stories weren't any more engaging. Um, I I really believe that as I was growing and becoming more of an adult and aware of the world around me, right. I just, I couldn't relate to the books anymore because Mm -hmm. there was no, there was never anyone in the books that looked like me, that sounded like me, that came from, you know, places like Brooklyn, all of the places that they came from were in Europe or some other exotic place, but never like, you know, places that I would recognize as a broke kid in Brooklyn. <laughs> so all, all it, the sheets and princes and billionaires and ex- all that <laughs> Exactly. So it was never anything I could really relate to. Um, so I, I stopped reading them. And I was actually having this edit, this conversation with my editor last night where you know, now looking back and as an adult and knowing Harlequin's history a little bit, I do realize that they did have Kamani and the like around that time and that mm-hmm. um, there were, you know, Black romances out. But the, the problem was it either, it they just weren't, either my library didn't stock them or I hadn't been trained yet 
as a black reader to go into the African-American section to look for books. Right. Either right. way, when I, when I looked at the romance section, those books did not exist. They weren't mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And since again, as I said, I wasn't trained at that point to understand that black if a book was written by a black author, it didn't, that superseded genre that instantly would go into the African-American section. I hadn't been trained right. that way yet or conditioned for that. So right. when I'm looking for romance, I'm going to go to the romance section. And there was never any books about black characters falling in love in the romance section. So I kind of right. just kind of like pulled away from it. And mm -hmm. um, I went off to college and, you know, started my my adulthood and when when I was I was working and and had disposable cash then I started running into like street vendors which is the great thing about living in New York because there's always a street vendor somewhere that you can get right. anything from right, <laughs> and, right and so right. they would you know they'd have all of these books by Rochelle Allers, Francis Ray, um Brenda mm. Jackson um yeah, Sandra classic. Kitt. Yeah, yeah, all of these books. And then um, they also had, um, you know, that's where I, I, I learned about Eric Jerome Dickey and, and all these other sorts of Black heavyweights in literature. And I also discovered um, this website at the time called BlackExpressions.com, which oh my God. had... I love that. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I, girl, I spent so much money on blackexpressions.com. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a it was a real habit, right? It was a real habit, and that's where I got all my like where I learned about Zane and like all mm -hmm. of the people that would really have a direct impact and influence on my writing style. That's how right. I discovered them. Um, and mm. once I started, I remember very clearly reading Zane's Shame on It All. Mm. And I I read that book and I was just like, this is my mother and my aunties. Like I have seen <laughs> this, I have seen this play out in my real life. Like I understood right. these characters and they were so relatable because again, these were situations that I had actually witnessed very, you know, similarly in my in in my own life. And it mm. it was just, it was. So it was such a novel thing to experience this sort of situation. So I didn't read uh, another Harlequin book probably for, I didn't pick up another category, probably for another 25 years. Wow. After okay. that, because yeah. I, I was just all about buying books, um, you know, from that represented me and my experience. And um, I, I started seeing like, uh, maybe two or three years ago, I started seeing um, Reese Ryan was publishing with um, Harlequin Desire. Mm -hmm. And what caught me at first was the covers. Their covers were really? gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And they were featuring all different types of diversity on these covers. Yes. And the the first one I saw, I think, was um, Off Limits Lovers, which featured a Black woman with box braids. I lost my damn mind. Yes. I saw yes. that and I was yes. just like, what? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when did this happen? How come nobody oh. called me and told me? Because when did Harlequin start publishing books with <laughs> box braids on the cover? Right, right. And, um, <laughs> 
And 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 I would see these covers come out periodically, and I hadn't really started reading them. But after a while, I I was like, you know what? I'm really intrigued by these covers. I'm gonna go and get these books. So I bought up a bunch of Reese's books, and these books were real black folks in them. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, like I know these people. Um, but even still, I was very like hesitant at that point um, to really sort of get back into the whole. Harlequin, um, reading Harlequin categories again. But mm -hmm. the more I saw these kinds of books come out, the more I wanted to actually like, um, you know, read them and possibly write them. Now right. I had been publishing at that point for quite a while. Like I started out with self-publishing. Um, I did not know what I was doing. And so of yeah. course, initially it just, it didn't go well because I had no clue what I was doing. Right. Um, and then I, I published with some small presses where I kind of learned the, the industry and the business, Hot Ink Press being one of them, Lucid being another, and where I started to learn um, industry standards and things like that. And at through those sorts of situations, I, I went to a, a conference, I want to say somewhere around 2014, 2015, maybe, where... Um, my my now agent, um, Latoya Smith, was there as an editor from Sam Hain. Mm -hmm. And um I had I was a contest finalist in this um at this conference. And I remember sitting, I was at some sort of like a showcase or something, and she walks up to my my little stage. She's like, Well, hi, I'm Latoya. I'm here from Sam Sam Hain. And I was expecting that you were going to come see me. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, did I, I know we didn't make an appointment. Like, why would, why were you expecting? She was like, well, you are a finalist here. You're a woman of color. And I came here looking for, you know, good writers, but especially good writers of color, because, right. you know, I'm trying to diversify um, our acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, wow, okay. And at the time I was working on something, but I didn't really have anything to give her. Um, so she was like, well, when you're finished with it, which was probably like eight weeks later, I was finished with it. She's like, when you're finished with it, here's my card, email it to me, give me a call so we can you know, talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I busted my tail to finish that book, which would become Lies, Lies You Tell. And um, by the time I finished it, maybe eight weeks later, Sam Hain announced that they were closing. Oh, wow. So I was like, how? Like, what? <laughs> no. Like, oh, like, gosh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, but it turned out to be a really good thing because, I mean, not that Latoya lost her job. Of course, that was terrible. But mm -hmm. um, what, what, what was born out of it, she became an agent. Right. And when she became an agent, instead of becoming an editorial acquisition for her, I became a client for her. Mm. And um, we've been together ever since. And and wow. she's been like fighting with me in this industry to try to make a way for what I write, which is a very realistic view of black folks. Right. And yeah. and not just what the industry says we can be. You know, it's what you know, we come from all different walks of life. We are not a monolith. But unfortunately, in publishing, we sometimes get 
you know, typecast into these certain roles. And when you don't write about those, those things, um, then your work doesn't really seem to have the same sort of value. So Latoya has been yeah. instrumental in getting me to these places where I was able to publish and publish successfully. And she was absolutely instrumental in me being able to, to connect with Harlequin and forge a publishing partnership with them. Because when she, she, I guess that the, an editor from Harlequin named Charles Greensman, he contacted her and was like, Hey, you know, so let's meet. And it was, I think it was an RWA conference 2019. Mm -hmm. And he said to her, let's meet and let's talk about some of your um, clients. And she's telling him all about these clients, but she didn't mention me because she knew that I had no interest in publishing for Harlequin. So she's telling him about all these people and he says to her, that's great. But what about Laquette? <laughs> she's like, wow. well, um, yeah. <laughs> I can ask, <laughs> right? Cause she knows she knows who her client is. She knows how I get down. So she she you know had she set up a meeting with me at the conference, and she's like, "Listen, this man from Harlequin is asking for you to submit to him." And I was like, "Submit what for what?" And she says, "She he wants to acquire your work. He wants you to submit something." And my response again was, "For what?" Right, um, right. And because, and it wasn't that I was being facetious or anything. It was, I knew that my, I believed anyway, that my voice and um, I believe my voice was too black and too Brooklyn. And, and I actually went on to tell that editor those words specifically. Yeah, um, too because too I, <laughs> yeah, too like soulful, I was yes. <laughs> too soulful. My character's yeah. code switch. You know, th these are all things that I was not, I did not believe Harlequin would, you know, would their readership, not just the, not the companies specifically, but even their readership, I didn't really think would be conditioned to, to receive a book like I wrote. Right. So um, he, you know, she convinced me, I wasn't going to go talk to this man. And she told me, you know, just go talk to him. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least go have the conversation. And he and I connected and we had a conversation and I told him the same thing. Listen, thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. I'm very flattered that you are interested in talking to me. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I don't think my voice would fit at Harlequin. I think it's too Black and too... Um, Brooklyn and I have no interest in changing that like those are very intentional things right so right. um but he was he was smooth with it I give him credit because he was like <laughs> okay I hear what you're saying but I actually read under his protection and I think you have a perfect voice for category and mm. I would really like to see you submit something and and for me I was like wait he actually read my work before he came to talk wow. to me what wow. that's rare so, <laughs> That is rare. So it, it really, really is truly rare. So after having that conversation with him, I was like, all right, what do you want to see in a book? And he says, well, I'd like to see, he, he's from Brooklyn himself. And so he's like, I, one of the things that annoys me about um, reading books sometimes is that they write people who don't know anything about New York. They always want to write about New York city. And you can tell instantly they have no clue 
about how, how New York actually works. Yeah, um, he was like, and, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, and then on top of that, like Manhattan is not the only you know city in New York. So I, I would like to see, as a, a Brooklynite, I would like to see a story about an affluent Brooklyn family where the romance is very heavily attached to the um, the f- family dynasty and and. And you know the whatever the business is in the family, right, right. And I said, so you want me to write Black Dynasty set in Brooklyn? And he said, actually, yeah, I kind of do want you to write that for me. So I was like, bet. And from that point, like from that moment in that interaction with him, mm-hmm. I felt so open to be able to create this world. Like I had that proposal, everything he needed to make a decision to take my my um to take my proposal to acquisitions, I had it ready two days later. Wow. And he Amen. he didn't believe me. I, you know, when I contacted him and told him I had it ready, he called uh-huh. my agent and he says, LaQuette told me she has this ready already. And she's like, Yeah, and it's fabulous and you're gonna love it. <laughs> he's like it, he's like it's only been two days she's like yeah that's my client that's how she gets down <laughs> so and it was just it really was a match made in in literary heaven and wow. to be able to you know do that has you know work with him in this way has brought me to this point where I am writing category for Carlequin 25 years after I stopped reading them because I didn't see right. me on the pages right that is Oh, that is amazing but <laughs> I, don't you think that your life thus far like all the indie that you've done um has prepared you like for this moment to walk into the the like next steps of of, of doing harlequin because i remember i re- i was familiar with your work because i think you were one of the first african-american authors that had like a asian man black woman romance <laughs> And I was like, "Who is doing this? Like, I, I, I want to, I do more of this." And I think, "Don't I worry, more, Bet- more is coming." <laughs> yeah, I read "Better the Enemy," and I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. so um, who is this person, and how can I get more?" You know, so like, all my friends knew who you were, who who read, you know, romance and stuff like that, and to see you go into Harlequin and like just, it's just like, like you know, just busting the, the gates kind of wide open for everybody else so it's just like amazing to me like I, I just can't like like I, I'm, I'm like fangirling like I said before because <laughs> I've known your work and who you are and how you've like advocated and pushed so much for uh, specifically black women and black romance to be at the forefront you know with all your advocacy mm-hmm. with the work that you're doing and it's just like you know what I'm saying? You put your money where your mouth is. You have all your cards on the line. You are who you are. And it's just, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just who you are and being authentic is truly, truly paying off. So I'm just like, I just, I just, well, I thank mean, you. I, can, yeah, I just, can't, I mean, I don't have to say that, but you know, you know <laughs> I, me. I mean, I, I greatly, I mean, I don't always know it because I will tell you that when you're in the thick of things, it doesn't always feel like things are mm-hmm. actually moving and don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much work to do in publishing with respect mm-hmm. to, um, access being, um, you know, open to everyone who wants to write a romance novel and not just certain people. 
Um, you, there's so much work can, to be done. Yeah, how do you think we can break through like, and there's so much gatekeeping. How do you think we as black writers and even you know romance enthusiasts kind of break through break through to those gatekeepers and say, hey, we we I'm writing this or we want to see that. How do we how do we do that? Oh well, here's the thing. So I will tell you that there there is you know a consciousness within publishing where they are looking for authors of color, right? But they, mm -hmm. it's it's not just looking for authors of color, right? Because there's been there's been so much you know so much done over the years and decades to push black authors and marginalized authors in general to the mm -hmm. margins of you know publishing mm -hmm. that and there's been so much done to eliminate space for us that now that publishing is actually opening to the idea because they recognize that you know what there there is a market for this we have been leaving money on the table um right. and they and they want you know they they realize that you know we if we want to survive as a as an industry publishing really has to diversify because we have all of these young readers in YA and YA is doing you know there's so much diversity in in YA and fantasy and stuff like that and right. with and romance is so far behind that mm -hmm. so what's going to happen is when those readers age up into adult romance they're going to come to adult romance expecting all of that diversity right. that they saw in YA right. and it's not going to be here and when right. that happens they're going to lose those readers so right publishing has adult publishing has started to realize you know what we got to get get our, our ourselves together and do what we have to do so but even though they are putting forth initiatives and things like that to bring um to bring black authors into the fold there's a lot of mistrust there, right? And right. I will not, right. and it was obvious in, in my own way in which I came to Harlequin. I was extremely mistrustful. Right. I didn't, mm. I didn't, and I made no no bones about it. I, I was very mm. honest and upfront about um, my preconceived notions about dealing with them. So it's not right. just, let's, it's not just we open in the doors to, Black authors. It's also doing that outreach, understanding that you know what, they're not going to be trustful of us. You know, they 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 have a reason to mistrust us, right? They are they're not imagining this, right? They have a reason to be mistrustful of us, and we've got to work through that. So it's like you know when you get an ex who's messed up, they've got to jump <laughs> through some hoops, you know, to before yeah. they win you know when you trust again and i think mm -hmm. that's sort of what publishing has to do like keep trying it it's not gonna everything is not gonna work the first time but mm -hmm. you have to keep trying it until you convince people to come in but also when they do come in you have to provide the support for them to for their work to be successful because sometimes you know publishers will contract black authors but we're not given the same necessarily um like marketing budgets or support right. that right. other authors get and so that right. can also impact our ability to succeed and it becomes this sort of um 
self-fulfilling prophecy almost that, oh, see, these books don't sell. But it's not mm-hmm. that the books don't sell, it's that you have to do the same things you do with white authors. You have to, and you might even have to do a little bit more when you're bringing in new voices because you've got to prepare your readership for that. Yeah, you, so I mean, yeah, yeah you, it's I, a I long process. Well. Yeah, because I think as a as a person who wants to get into writing and as, as a person who is a romance fan, uh, you know, when you hear about the stories of, oh, you know, I had this great contract, then I got dropped, or I had this, um, you know, nobody's marketing my book, you know, it, it makes you like not want to even mm-hmm. a purchase or support the the publishing house or be even as if you're a writer want to even submit to them so yeah i definitely get what you're saying about that like they have to Mm -hmm. talk not only talk the talk of bringing them in but they have to you know retention too is also key to 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 make exactly exactly Mm -hmm. yeah so like you're you've gone from like indie author and I don't want to get into too much of the stuff with RWA, but I know as president of RWA, you're poised to like take the take the um, organization to a, another realm of, of leadership and stuff like that. Like, how do you envision it changing in the next few years or so? You know, what are your goals for like, you know, some of the same things we were talking about attracting black authors to kind of come to RWA or, you know, support, have RWA like support, support black authors and other authors of color? Um, Well, for me, the most important thing I can do for, in my opinion, is to try to, in some way, be the link between Mm. black authors and publishing. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that often puts us behind the ball, behind the eight ball with respect to publishing is that we are not necessarily in the spaces where where industry stuff happens, right? We're, we're not necessarily behind those scenes where we have access to high level information because oftentimes right. as black authors, we kind of get shut out of those places. Right. And my goal has been to sort of open that up and make sure that that information is accessible to black authors so that they can take it and do with it what they will. So whether that is them seeking out, them seeking out traditional publishing or them using that information to augment their indie work, Mm -hmm. whichever path they choose to take, I just Mm want to make sure that they're able to access that information. And so we've been developing a lot of programs a lot of programming that sort of speaks to that. We've been doing a lot of outreach and not just um, marketing to Black authors, but actually bringing in Black authors who have been killing it in this game for the longest time um, under publishing's radar and bringing them in so that our authors can see, hey, they do exist, so that the industry can see, hey, they do exist. Uh, and just trying our best to create a safe space for all authors. It's not always easy. It doesn't always work out. Um, but we have done a lot of work in the last 18 months with respect to changing bylaws, um, Mm -hmm. and, and just doing all we can to change the culture in RWA and make it more accessible for everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. 
we talked about the advocacy part. We talked about romance and, and diversity and stuff, but I want to talk about the books. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So listen, so oh, I think it was a couple months ago, I read Jackson and um, mm-hmm. I'm still reeling from that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still reeling because it was just, it took me on a roller coaster of emotions. And I was like, I don't know if I can forgive LaCrette for, for having me just just have me all of my feelings and, and thinking all this crazy happened. It was just a lot of romantic suspense. I love romantic suspense, but it had romantic suspense elements, but it really was a ro- just a romance. Um, it was really a romance, my, yeah. Yeah, I got try to get all my friends to read it because, I, like I tell them, I, I'm addicted to, to cowboys, and especially when they're black in any type of way. <laughs> Um, so, and then the cover got me. I remember I got a, the art from Nick Galley, and I was like, Oh my god, this cover is made. It's so fun. Oh my god, it is. Shout out to Source Books for that that picture because they actually went and and they found um, my agent had found a, a photographer. I think his name is um, goodness, his name escapes me at the moment. Um, if I ever, if I, I'll find it afterwards and, and email it to you, but they, okay. my agent found this, um, photographer on Instagram who, who literally exclusively shoots gorgeous black men mm. of all shades mm. and, mm. um, source books went to him and they got that, that, uh, that, act that, um, that model, uh, a reader actually, um, messaged me on Twitter and was like, he, he was in one of Tony Braxton's, um, videos. I was oh, like, wow. really? Now I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm kind of famous cause I share somebody <laughs> with Tony Braxton. So I feel like I'm fam- famous by association now. <laughs> yeah. Not that I've actually done anything to be famous, but you know, I'm like yeah. two steps removed from, from Tony in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's he's he that shout out to source books for that amazing uh cover um it is gorgeous he is gorgeous and i do frequently look at it and just pet it because he's gorgeous <laughs> it, it got so bad Laquette. i'm just gonna tell you it's really really good what i'll do is i'll read the book and then i'll turn around and listen to the audiobook and i did it i listened to the audiobook <laughs> And I and I was like, okay, this uh, it was it was a lot. I was like, I was like obsessed. Oh, so glad! And I heard word on the street is I heard you got a couple more coming out. Based, on yeah. The, well, no, the yes, no, the. I can tell you that there's at least one more of those books coming out. Um, It's already in the can. It's just a matter of um, edits and stuff like that. But that book has already been written. Um, Colton and Seneca will be the hero and heroine. And that Mm. book is filthy. It is so filthy. It is so (laughs) filthy. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Jackson was... Jackson was, was nice good. and mellow, but this book is filthy. And to the point that even my editor was like, what happened? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was trapped in the house with kids during a pandemic when this book yes. was written. Like, you know, yes. maybe I, I don't know. Maybe my creativity, you know, just went awry. 
you write such good steamy scenes in general though like like and they're oh, not they're, they're, they're emotional and they're steamy you know what i mean like it's not just steam for steam's sake because you sometimes you read books and you're just like girl you, you didn't have to add all that you know it's like <laughs> but like you 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 add the steam and the emotional like undercurrent of it so i like like especially well, with Jack and I that. so i know if this is gonna be filthy it's still gonna have that emotional it is it's gonna it's gonna be like have the betting the enemy kind of filth level to it mm. it is really um it, i mean colton is just a, a dirty boy he really is and <laughs> you know seneca just <laughs> she benefits from that quite you know quite well <laughs> so oh, wow. i happily so I'm not gonna give away any of I'm not gonna give away any of Jackson for though I, even though I recommended it on the book list um a couple um well when it first came out I recommended it on the book list but you know I mm -hmm. y'all just read the book that's all I guess <laughs> speaking of like sex scenes and stuff how do you get in like the mode to write those types of scenes like do you have playlists do you like like oh absolutely <laughs> it's absolutely a playlist sort of situation and sometimes it could take a couple of days of me like getting into getting to that point because i don't i can't always write write sex scenes like on demand right um because right, there isn't right. an emotional component to it it is very emotional for me so mm -hmm. music helps me emote it helps me get in the headspace and the emotional space of whatever it is i'm supposed to be feeling and conveying in in my books so when i know i have i usually to you know to get through the whole writing process i'll usually write the book and just put um you know just write in in like a, a put a placeholder and say they have sex here and then when i'm finished writing the you know the story i'll go back in and put in the sex scenes and generally what i'll do is i have a playlist that is just all about the filth right it's all about getting your swerve on so there's got to be some pretty ricky on there there's got to be some trey songs oh yeah um there's um you know like every sexy song that i have ever every basically every hip-hop and r&b sexy song that i have loved from being a 90s kid yes, is on yes. that playlist yes. <laughs> That's why I feel you, 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 my peoples, because '90s R&B hits different. It just hits different. It, it does, girl. I can't <laughs> wait for tomorrow <laughs> until that doggone Aaliyah joint drops tomorrow. Like I don't even know, I know. what to do with myself right now. I know, I know. I, know. I mean, the, the new. The, I'm, I'm forty. I'm forty three. I'm about to be forty three. So I mean, the new, the new stuff is like it's okay. I feel like the it brothers just, just like. They're not doing it for me. They just they just it's sing not. They they not <laughs> you know you it, it's not like some Casey and JoJo you know like no, where you exactly. you you feel it like they come begging that begging quality that key sweat quality right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't beg. They, yeah, they don't beg. They don't anymore. beg like yeah. that anymore. So yeah, that's the kind of music beg. I listen to. And sometimes mm -hmm. it may take a couple of days of me like just playing those playlists over and over and over again in mm -hmm. my my um you know in my head just to be able to get my head right and and then mm -hmm. I'll sit down and kind of you know start writing it. Outside of the, the sex scenes, like when the 
when other scenes get really, really hard and really, really tough and you're in the weeds and you're just like, okay, I don't know where to go. How do you break out of that? Like when you're like, okay, I don't know where to go in, in this novel. I don't know how these characters are supposed to act or feel. How do you like get out of that? Like, like they're like a block. Well, there. I will, I will say that, um, writing for Harlequin has really sort of helped me with that in the sense that Harlequin requires you to, to provide synopses of every story you write for them, um, mm. which I hate because synopses are evil. Um, and I feel <laughs> like, you know, my logic is why do I have to tell you about the book if I'm going to write the book? Right. But, right. but I will say that having had to learn how to do that, as a course of business and how, you know, to be able to adhere to their practices has mm -hmm. really strengthened my writing in a way that it has forced me to think out the story before I actually sit down to write. So I have created yeah. like a, a, the roadmap for the story. It's not that I plot like every detail cause I, I don't, I just mm -hmm. know that here's the like overarching, like big points of the story. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, kind of weave it together from there. Um, mm. So it, I don't often get into a space where I am stuck, where I feel like I've written myself into a corner because mm -hmm. I'm pretty closely following that roadmap. And I, it, what it actually means is that I do less work in revisions. Oh yeah, because yeah. I've I've already had that opportunity to kind of see where things were going or if things mm -hmm. needed to be tweaked. I also have a great relationship with um, all of my editors that I can, you know, call up any one of them and say, Hey, um, I'm having a little bit of an issue. You know, what do you think about this? My agent mm -hmm. Latoya Smith is like my first stop when I feel like I'm having a problem. You know, if I feel like there's something going on with the story, when I develop a story, I develop it with her. You know, I'll run everything past her. She'll tell me what she thinks of it, where she feels like it needs to be tweaked, how I can make it stronger. Um, so a lot of those bugs are sort of worked out in the pre-work now that I have to work this way. And that was something that yeah. I really didn't have to do when I was solely indie. So I had mm -hmm. a lot more of those situations arise back then because I was pretty much just writing by the seat of my pants at that point. Mm -hmm. But having sort of adopted this new plotting sort of system, which again, I absolutely hate because I'm not a natural plotter. Right. Um, but it it work, It really does work. So it's all about the discipline of, of learning how to do the job and work smart and not hard, you know, and, and once you, once you've accomplished that, whatever, you know, that works for me. It doesn't always work mm -hmm. for everyone else. Everyone has yeah. their own method. And I would never tell you, I would never tell another writer, well, no, you're doing it wrong. Do it my way. Cause the minute someone mm -hmm. tells you that they're wrong. Um, right. <laughs> but for me, it, <laughs> for me, it has definitely sort of streamlined my work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of category, and I know, I mean, with Harlequin, they, they keep such a like, they have, it's, it's not, I want to, I don't want to say formulaic, but it's, mm -hmm. you know what to expect when you get a Harlequin book, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, they have certain word counts. Did you, you didn't feel in any way that that kind of constricted your creativity or like, you know, made you feel it like, okay. It didn't constrict my creativity. I knew I could mm. write the book. I, I was very worried about the word count because I, I do tend to be pretty lengthy and wordy in my, my stories. Right. 
Um, so I was really worried about that, but that is the blessing of having a really good editor. Cause let me tell you something mm. about Charles Greensmith. That man <laughs> cut four to five, he cut four to 5,000. And this is not a lie. He cut four. He, the first version of a very intimate takeover I gave him was like 65,000 words. And he was like, yeah, this is cute, but you're going to have to cut this down. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, 60, I can't. I, 60, I, I, yeah. he, no, 60 my behind. He was like, no, you got to get this down to at least 55. Ooh. I'm like, where am I supposed to find 10K words out of this to, to get rid right. of? And right. I was able to like go through it. And I, I was able to get it down to, I think, something like, 57 or something like that mm -hmm. that man says okay thank you a couple months later i get edits and he's like yeah i got it down to like 5400 um you are going to need to make these changes but please be mindful mindful of the word count and try not to go any further over it this man had cut like four or five thousand words out of that story and here's the the, the kicker right he had mm. cut four or 5,000 words out of that story. I wrote the story. I could not tell you where he cut those words from. Wow. That's how wow. good he was. That's how skilled oh. he was with wow. what he was, what he's doing. Because it usually when an editor, you know, if they cut that much out of a story, it can be hard to really, it can either mess with how the story unfolds mm -hmm. or it can mess with your voice. Mm -hmm. And I read that book with the cuts that he had made and the the suggestions that he had given me. And it still read very much like a Laquette book. I could not tell, like, I can look in the margins and see where he cut it, like in, in track changes. But in just reading the document, I could not tell where he took the words from. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, I, it, it I, helped I, me. I, yeah, I started, I started a very intimate takeover. I think you saw my Instagram while I was reading it to my baby. She didn't know what was happening. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm using all these big words. I don't know what that's going on. But I, I, am, I am enthralled. Like I'm 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 almost I'm almost done with it as as a writer and a and a reader. I, I get all discombobulated sometimes. I, I'm reading like eight thousand things at once. Um but <laughs> Let's talk about these. Let's talk about a very intimate takeover. It comes out September 28th. And the yeah. Devereaux, you said Dynasty, so I know that's where you got Devereaux from. Oh. Yes, I wanted to I wanted to pay homage to Dominique Devereaux, who was yes. played by the late, great Diane Carroll. And yes. um, I, I wanted to pay homage to that in a very big way. So mm -hmm. I created the Devereaux family, who is yes. this billionaire family in Brooklyn, um, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of secrets in their closets and a lot mm -hmm. of shenanigans going on. Um, mm -hmm. But underneath it all, they're a family that loves each other. And when it comes down to it, they, they, they know how to protect each other. Very, very ruthless, very ruthless business mm -hmm. people <laughs> who want to just, they are. you know, conquer their little section of of, of business or whatever <laughs> so much it's so, true I don't, wanna, I don't want to give it away but so much so you know they they stab their family in the back you know i'm not gonna say nothing <laughs> <laughs> it is true there might be some references to alexis carrington in there and alexis yes, colby in yes. there 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 might be yes. <laughs> yes yes it's so good but what drew me and i know what drew a lot of the other black women are these beautiful covers 
that Harlequin <laughs> giving you. I know I tweeted, I was like, when I saw it, I was like, that looks like me. Especially back, oh, I didn't have the benefit. But when I when I saw backstage benefit, I said that's me in a especially in a blue dress because that's my sorority clothes. But a blue dress, I was, like, I, was like, I was like, oh, that looks like me going to something, which is very very strange. But that comes out in November. Mm-hmm. So it, yes. like, what what do you what do you was it was it really really important to you to have the covers reflect plus size women? And I know in a oh, lot of absolutely. years, you feature plus size women and the representation mm-hmm. of plus size women. How important is it for you to make sure that we're seen, and I'm including myself in there, I'm plus size, we're seen in romance and in mainstream romance? Um, oh, absolutely. Know. It is It is a top priority for me because I am mm-hmm. a plus size woman. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that kind of... Um, bothered me a lot about plus about what I when I would read plus size heroines is that there would always seem to be this situation where um it was always like oh I actually read one where the hero basically thinks well she'd be kind of cute if she lost a couple of pounds <laughs> and, and I hate that. that exactly and so my existence is not defined by by my dress size. Like how I feel about myself is not defined by my dress size. Um, you know, I've been everything from a size two to a size twenty, and Same. back again, right? So mm-hmm. that that doesn't. I am who I am. It doesn't. Ha- you know, my weight just tells you whether I'm stressed out or not. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. I'm an I'm an emotional eater, um, mm-hmm. but it. You know, I have never not had good, I've never had a problem getting a man because I was plus size and I've never had a problem, you know, sustaining relationships because I was plus size. And I wanted that sort of thing that I wanted that message to be out there that there may be women who struggle, who have struggles with their identity as a plus size woman, that that is a valid perspective. However, it's not the only perspective because some of us are just like, listen, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's going to (laughs) be what it's going to be right now. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are too many other things to stress over. That is what God made leggings for. So (laughs) I, I wanted, I wanted to write stories where plus size black women were given the glamorous treatment, were allowed mm-hmm. to feel themselves and, and be confident and and be unapologetic and how they felt, you know, how they acknowledge their own sexiness and be on unap- and, and have the men that love them be unapologetic. Like if you've ever had the opportunity to read this book, I, I recommend it all the time. Jules Bennett wrote a book called California Dreams. Mm. And it is, it's an interracial romance with a white man and a black woman, a pl- black plus size woman. And if you look on the cover, she is this deep toned sister with this luscious body. And this dude is just all over her, right? So <laughs> I, I I buy the book because the cover is gorgeous, right? But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cautious because I don't know what I'm going to see when I when I open the book. 
right. first scene of this book, this dude is standing at his balcony at this island resort somewhere. And he's mm-hmm. watching this, the heroine who is a size 18 and she's walking across the, um, she's walking across the, the beach and he is standing in his balcony looking at her, thinking about how he loved making love to her last night and how he is going to make it so that she comes back to his room so he can peel that damn bikini she's wearing off of her again. <laughs> like, he, he, that man stood there and just in his head ran down every curve that woman had and how he just couldn't wait to get his hands on her again. Like, and I thought... This is the most fantastic thing I have ever read in my life. (laughs) I want, you know, this is what I want. Like, this is what I always attempt to do when, when I'm writing plus size women. And these are the stories that we need out there. So when I came to Harlequin and, you know, we were going to do this story, I knew instantly that the, the, the heroines were all going to be plus size, all of them. Right. Right. And, It was the books were not going to be about them being plus size. The books were going to be about them living their fabulous lives and the men who fell in love with them. Um, and I also wanted, you know, when I write books like this, I'm going to write heroes that, you know, want like love every nook and cranny that this woman, that these women have. So I, I that's how I, I celebrate us, right? Because I, I want them to have partners who are going to be just as enthusiastic about their bodies as they are. I don't want them to be paired with partners who are going to ridicule them or think less of them in some way because they don't have the typical body type that is perpetuated as beautiful in in mainstream um, pop culture. So for me, it was extremely important to have this representation to have these men literally salivating over (laughs) these women um, because that's how it should be. Like if you're going to write a romance novel where your heroine knows she's everything, then her man has to know that too. Right. It just, it just has to be that way. And I just, and if I could just keep it 100, I (laughs) I'm just like culturally, like I'm from the South and, um, (laughs) Big women reign supreme. Like we, exactly. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Chris Rock used to say, "Big woman gonna go out. It don't matter who she out. She gonna go out tonight. You know what I mean? Like she gonna look good, gonna put on her dress, and she gonna go out tonight." So I don't, I don't culturally have those experiences where the men in my life, or the, or even the other women in my life, put down or denigrate mm-hmm. or don't want to be romantic with or be seen in public with bigger women. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think I, it is, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it is a cultural thing. And I think it's, it spans yeah. greater than re- region because yeah. I'm, I'm from New York and it's, it's very much like I, like I said, I've never had a problem getting a man and I've been plus yes. size most of my life. And so yeah. it's, um, it is, I think, in black culture, that's something we are used to seeing, right? I think that's something mm-hmm. our men are taught to love and appreciate. Yes. And yes. I think when it comes to outside of our culture, that might not be the case because that is not what the, the beauty standard has typically been. Um, yes. But for us, you're right. That's, it's not like, we know we look good. Like you can't tell us otherwise. You really just can't. 
And even now, as the body positivity movement is getting sort of co-opted by other people, Black women are still mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, that's cute and all, but we, we know that we're confident and we look good and we can, you know, keep moving, mm-hmm. even if you don't include us in these spaces. So, Listen, like, ain't yeah. nothing, ain't nothing, yeah. ain't nothing some spanks can't handle, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. So for you to put, like, like, I mean, you're not, you're bringing the glitz and the glamour of Harlequin and, and centering these plus size women is just like so beautiful for, uh, I know a person like me, a fan to just be like salivating over. So I just cannot wait to like get the second book. Even though <laughs> I haven't finished the first one, I cannot wait to get the second book. I already, I already pre-ordered it. Um, so I'm just like, like super, super excited to like dig into it. But okay, we're coming up. We we're going over time, but we're coming up on the end of the interview, and I want to do like a little rapid fire question and answer with you. Sure. So sort of like um, James Lipton and Inside the Actor Studio, where we ask a few questions, and um, you get like the first answer that pops into your head. So, um, your favorite book as a kid? Uh, I want. I don't. I can't remember like book titles as a kid, but the earliest mm-hmm. books that I remember like obsessing over were um, those uh, as a kid, kid were those peanuts books. My mother mm-hmm. she would buy me these Charles Schultz uh, peanuts books. And I read every one of them um, as a teenager, like a, a preteen sweet Valley high. Like I was all oh, yeah. in sweet Valley high. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So do you like writing heroes or villains? Here, I'm all about the heroes. Like, I, I don't like to make evil people. Um, and even when, when my people are evil, there's, you know, there may be some sort of, like, reason for it, like, in a very intimate takeover. There's, once you get to the next set of books as the series, you know, expands, you will come to understand why the villain is the villain. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, I don't want to give. I don't want to give it up. Writing love scenes. We talked about sex scenes and love scenes, or dramatic mm-hmm. argument. I think both, because oftentimes the dramatic arguments lead to the sex scenes. So <laughs> I, I love them both. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, what is where is your favorite place to write? In my office, I have a very lovely office that is so me. It is varying shades of um, baby blue and white, and it is perfect, and I keep my children out of it. So it can be (laughs) the one perfect space in my house. (laughs) Yes, yes, same, same. Um, If you you are into, like, books to movie, was there ever a, like, a, a movie that you said was really, really good adaptation of a book? Oh yeah, the Thornbirds, that miniseries. That that oh, miniseries God. was actually extremely well adapted. I mean, there are a lot of years that are missing in the original that that mm-hmm. are in the book, but for the most part, if you read the book, the the miniseries is very close to it. Like a, a it's almost a a word for word um adaptation. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember that series. Like my parents and my aunts and them, they were like just going up for it. Like they, 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 they did not mine too. It. We should have never oh. been allowed. I was like five years old when that when that thing aired in 1983. There should no yeah. have been no reason why I was allowed to watch that. But that I think really was just one one of the things that influenced me and learn and mm-hmm. wanting to write romance because mm-hmm. you know fab as problematic as that story is through today's yeah. context, um, yeah. you you can't pry that story. You'll pry that story from my de- my cold dead hands because that book <laughs> and the movie and the, the series, I mean, it's a, an extra, it's a perfect masterclass in angst and, and, mm-hmm. and desire. I, it, yes. it really is. Yes. yes, it is. It really is. Um, kids, kids, people younger than us don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I own I let me tell you I actually own the digital movie the digital oh version of it and See, I love that story go on Come Amazon up. Prime girl it's there <laughs> I, I will I promise I will after this um <laughs> what you read your book reviews or not read them I think that each author has to make that determination if you are a person <laughs> that cannot if you're a person that can't like take a hit, then don't read them. Like if you're going to get mad about it and upset about it, it don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to let something like that get in your head if that's how you're going to react to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a person who can kind of, you know, ignore everything else and get to the constructive part of it. And if you find that there's something in it that can help you improve as a, a, a writer, if you can do that, then fine. But if you are going to, if your feelings are going to get hurt, then you shouldn't. There's no mm. reason to. What is the last romance novel that you read? Saint by Sierra Simone. And when I tell you she broke me, she <laughs> broke me. I, I literally had to call her up and tell her, I, I, I don't like, I, it took me three days after reading that mm. book to be able to actually articulate to her what she had done to me with that story. It is that whole series, that whole um, priest series is amazing. But I specifically have been asking for this book for three years. And mm. um, in my head, she wrote it specifically for me. <laughs> so was she. <laughs> and um, when she finally finished it and I was able to get a, a arc of it, I was just like, girl, like... I don't even understand why I'm writing when you out here putting out stuff like this. Like, it doesn't even make sense for me to sit down. Both she and Naima Simone are, like, so amazing that I really do question my abilities. Like, they are probably the only two writers out there that make me question my abilities because they are so amazing. Yes, they are amazing. The road to Rose Bend is just... Oh, that was another one. I called her. I have words I called Naima up over there, too. No, I, I called her up and I told her, you are so wrong. Like I was crying at the end of that book. Yeah, I, yeah. I, when the, when the pivotal scene where the hero, you know, goes through and he goes back to his mama's house and he's going through it. I was in tears. <laughs> I was like, yes. you know, you was dead wrong for this. <laughs> then at the end, you're like, okay, well, where's the next one? <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. I'm very fortunate in that Naima loves me. So I, oftentimes I get 
arcs like way before anyone else does. Um, and and I I get to indulge in that beautiful series because it is it really is an amazing series. Yes, yes. Um, what is the your most favorite word or word that you use a lot in your writing? <laughs> oh my god, there's so many. It's not words. Or sometimes it's real like phrases also. Phrases. So okay. narrow narrowed gazes. Um mm. or my editor is like, uh, he just narrowed his gaze like in the last paragraph. Can he do something <laughs> else here, please? So <laughs> narrowed gazes. Um what else is it? Uh uh I mean, what else is one of my pet words? That's the only one that comes to my mind, but I know that there are so many others because I'm always getting called on them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if one of your books became a movie, who would you want to play the lead? It doesn't matter. Any book. You can uh, pick any book. Um, well, if we're going to say a very intimate um, takeover, yes. Yes. Um, let's see. What is this woman's name? Uh Danielle Brooks, I oh, think I would make a her. perfect try. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, Dan yes, Danielle yes. Brooks, and she—I mean, she's a phenomenal actress. Like yes. I watched her in the Mahalia Jackson story, mm -hmm. and I could not tell the difference between her and Mahalia. Like she really mm -hmm. embodied that role. Um, and I would like if I if if it were ever a possibility for this to become a movie, I would beg for her to be cast as Trey. Mm. Mm, mm. What about the meal? Um, Morris Chestnut. Oh God, Morris he's Chestnut. So funny. <laughs> he is. He he's just gorgeous, and I could see him and like pairing Morris Chestnut and Daniel Brooks together. Like that would be, you know, screen magic. Pretty much. Oh, I, see it, see it. <laughs> I really do see it. Oh, I do see it. Um, so, is is there an author? Okay, if someone was new to romance, what mm -hmm. author, new and old, would you recommend for them to like get into romance? Oh, that's that is such a a long list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I well, I will say that my journey with interracial romance started with Sandra Kitt, mm, and okay. I, 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 I do believe that she that her book, The Color of Love, was the first interracial romance that was out. Um, mm -hmm. It is, it is a brilliant book. I mean, she is such a smart writer. I mean, she's perfection, really. But that story mm -hmm. is so deep and so amazing um mm -hmm. and she was writing in a time when it when interracial relationships weren't as commonplace as they are yes. now yeah, and so she mm -hmm. yeah and she she took you through like this really heart-wrenching story um where these two people are able to find them find love in a very unexpected way even through even though they're going through some really different cultural issues that definitely impact the relationship. Right, right, right. Is there like a new author that you're like, this person is they got it. They're like, there's something about the way they write. Um, like you're just 
I mean, I can tell you about my contemporaries, which are, uh, of cool. course, um, Adriana Herrera, I think is yes. amazing. Um, yes. Naima Simone, of course, Sierra Simone. I mean, these are people that are auto buys for me. Like I, if they mm -hmm. have a, if they have a book out, they send me the eBooks, but I go buy the print books because I want right. physical copies of their books um, because they're so good. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. And I have one last question. Um, sure. When it's all said and done, what do you want readers to say about the books you write? I want them to say that in my books, people, all people found love, like without qualification. Um, people found love, you know, people loved and were loved because of who they were. And, and that's, that's it. And that's all. Oh, that's awesome to end this this beautiful conversation. <laughs> oh my god, thank you. I feel like I sat at the at the feet of the queen and she Oh, thank you. I oh, need to keep you. you like in my pocket so I can just pull you out. And when my husband and my kids look at me like I'm stupid, I was like, "Look, listen to Tati. She understands." <laughs> well, thank you so much. I I totally appreciate it. And I wish you much success with this new line with, with Harlequin. And we have um, the books coming out. We have a very intimate takeover coming out September 28th. And yes. then Backstage Benefits comes out. I know November, but what's the exact date? Do you know? Actually, it's on my birthday, November 30th. I don't know who told Harlequin I want to work on my birthday, All right. but. <laughs> All right. Great birthday present. So, it thank is. You so thank you so much, LaQuette. I appreciate it. Appreciate Thank you. Everything. So much best to you. And I and I love you down. I don't even know you, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. And I feel the love and I so and it's so reciprocated. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>